It's good to see you guys tonight, and I have a confession to make. In my last testimony, I told a story about the time I moved to Sacramento a couple of years after college to go back to school. What I conveniently forgot to mention back then is that in those couple of years after college, I got expelled from my other school. So let's dive into that blip on the radar screen. <laughs> it's late August of 2013. I am feeling relieved and I admit also a little smug that I finally know what I'm going to be when I grow up, a doctor of physical therapy. Getting accepted to grad school was a big deal, so I arrive on the first day excited and ready to roll. I imagine the next three years are going to be full of stimulating discussions, study parties, and extra time for creative research projects. Well, it wasn't like that. In the first round of midterms, I get flattened across the board in all eight classes. And that's not the only problem. By one month in, I cannot help but notice that this profession, as a doctor of physical therapy, is not what I expected at all. I feel like a bride walking down the aisle, gearing up to dedicate my life and get married to this career that had seemed really cool in the lead-up stages, except now, the closer I look, the more turned off I get. I... I briefly entertain the thought that maybe I'm making a big mistake here. Then I quickly cut that thought out of my mind. I already wrote a big tuition check. I tell myself this is standard cold feet. It's time to get to work and rescue my grades. <laughs> Highly motivated by the fear of failure, I give it my all. I spend my early mornings in the lab and my late nights roaming about the streets of Alameda with flashcards. <laughs> and, of course, I pray. God, please do not let me fail, I would say. But if I am going to fail, or if you don't want me here, I would rather you just make me sick so it doesn't look like it's my fault. <laughs> Be careful about declaring bad theology. Uh, the night before the first final exam, out of nowhere, I get violently ill. I take the finals anyway, and a couple hours after the last exam, I receive an email summoning me to the dean's office. So I walk in and sit down, and they hand me a box of Kleenex. Well, Carissa, we know you tried really hard, and you came really close, but... They go on to inform me that I failed two classes, one of them by two-tenths of a point, and the consequence was expulsion. Expelled, I think to myself, that kind of stuff isn't supposed to happen to people like me. <laughs> but it did. So that afternoon, I say goodbye to my classmates, pack up my apartment, and drive to my family's house. Awake that night, I tried to reconcile with how it was that I could pour so much of myself into something and still miss the mark. Naturally, I have some disappointment to deal with here, 
but I wanted to get over it already. So after Christmas vacation, I set my eyes on a different school in Sacramento and divert my attention and hopes elsewhere. Okay, here's another confession. I cannot stand the Bachelor TV show. Um, contrary to popular assumption, however, it's not because I think it's too unrealistic. Based on my early, mid-20s dating experiences, I find it a little too realistic. Um, basically, after grad school, there is a dramatic dating elimination Hunger Games going on in my life. All the contestants are stalking each other on social media. Girls are crying, guys are stressed because girls are crying. And I am in the arena praying for wisdom because I am confused all the time. But when my prayers are answered, I realize, oh, this is not complicated. Simple math. If the sum of my pain and your stress are consistently greater than the sum of my happiness and your peace, it's probably not a good fit. Uh, so, with my newfound logic, I exit the Bachelor Hunger Games arena, but not scratch-free. Not only am I torn up, but I start to wake up to a disenchanted reality full of deferred disappointments. In my experience, the longer you stay drunk by the comforts of a lie, the worse the hangover is when you wake up to the truth. Okay. I feel like I went to sleep in Disneyland and woke up in a Linkin Park music video. <laughs> that keeps reminding me I tried so hard and got so far. And in the end, it doesn't even matter. I look back over the last three years of what was supposed to be the big launching into real adult life, and I see failure and heartbreak. In addition, I have an overwhelming awakening to the concept of choice. I recognize that even with good intent, I don't always make good ones. Mistakes are painful, and I'd rather not make them anymore. Thus, I decide I'm going to work really hard not to make any wrong choices. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't trust my own decision-making mechanisms anymore, so I'm on the hunt for permission and validation. I want someone to tell me what the right answers are and give me some reassurance that I'm doing a good job at life. But I don't get this reassurance, and even when I do, it's not satisfying. It never feels like enough because I never feel like enough. Then, God gives me an analogy. My heart is like an economic system currently on the brink of bankruptcy for two reasons. A, my identity stocks are owned by 95% earthly shareholders and B, my self-worth is outsourced in either performance or people. I, I have learned acquiring the value of our self-worth has to be a passive income inside job between us and God. Only then can we operate in freedom and generosity.
So I go about refinancing my heart and continue my quest of making only right choices. <laughs> my next approach is one of constant vigilance. I believe that if I can simply gather enough information, analyze the situation to near death, and eliminate as many potential unknowns as possible, then I can outrun the unknown, escape criticism, not make mistakes, never get hurt, and excel in all my endeavors. For a little while, I think I have a highly functioning undercover strategy working for me here until I get coffee with Eric Waterbury. He looks at me like an x-ray and says, if you keep doing this, your life will stay small, but it has the potential to be powerful. After the denial wears off, I see he has a point. My constant vigilance is shrinking my life and faith. See, faith as defined in Hebrews is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we cannot see. But indirectly, I have been saying to God, God, here is my circle of trust. It's roughly the size of a human eye, so that limits us to what I can see. And on good days, it expands to the size of my head, and that gives us everything I can think of. God, I want breakthrough, but not outside these borders. <laughs> Meanwhile, on Sunday, Hillsong United comes on, and I am singing out for the spirit to lead me where my trust is without borders, where I walk upon the waters and the great unknown. Once again, I am convicted. Finally, a few months ago, I reach a point where all of these convictions converge to trigger the question, is this the kind of story I want to tell with my life? Because every day, whether I document to my diary or post to Instagram my story, my actions, beliefs, and decisions are telling a story for which only I will be held accountable for at the end of this life. If I'm honest with myself at this point, the central themes of my story are mistake prevention, perception management, sin avoidance, social media upkeep, and idea hoarding. <laughs> I don't read that type of genre for fun. In literature and film, great stories never start or end with flawless characters or perfect plot point destinations. A great story happens when a character wants something badly enough that they are willing to face fear, doubt, and conflict to fight for it. Also, for a story to work, it needs an element of uncertainty. Otherwise, we would no longer feel compelled to turn the page or click next episode at one in the morning. <laughs> As the dots connect, I realize that maybe achieving perfection is not the purpose of my life story. In fact, maybe the goal of not making any mistakes is the mistake. That's the very thing keeping my real self and all my ideas locked inside and away from the world. Also, if I really do ask the Holy Spirit to lead me down a path that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, or no mind has imagined, then I simply do not have time to live a story limited by the fear of failure. Presently, in the process of letting go of perfection, my vision has improved for both near and far sight. 
I can see present reality more clearly because I am no longer afraid to look at it. But I can also see my dreams for the future more vividly because I now aim to choose curiosity over despair when facing the not yet charted transition territories. There was a time not too long ago when I felt crushed by the weight of the not yets. I asked God, how do I deal with the people not yet healed, the hungry children not yet fed, the debts not yet paid, my stories not yet published, and the deep longings of my heart not yet fulfilled. These questions used to haunt my story, but now these questions drive my story. I have accepted that between reality and dreams, a gap in some form will always exist. After all, we are here on earth and not yet in heaven. But now I see that inside the gap is our invitation to carry forward the greatest story ever told. It's a battle where we face darkness with torches of light, an adventure where we slash through thickets of lies with swords of truth, and it's a romance of God's outrageous, everlasting love for us. Alas, together in this story, we rally with patience and urgency for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. You guys, the best is yet to come. Yeah.